Good morning. How you doing? Uh, my name is Joe. I'm glad to be with you. All, everyone here who doesn't own a cottage, it's good to uh, be in good company. Um, I guess I found my people. So uh, it's good to be here with you. Um, uh, my name, like I said, is Joe Testa. I'm uh, one of the pastors here with New Hope. And I and one of my co-pastors, Dave Schubert, have just started a new ministry of New Hope. It's a ministry and a mission, kind of focusing in on MSU, LCC, and other area college-age people and young adults. And um, we're calling it the greenhouse. We could go into all kinds of detail about that. But if you're in that kind of age group or whatever, we have a lunch afterward for you. We'd love to get to know you. Um, and so come and join us. And we would love to, uh, like I said, just to have you get to meet other people that are kind of in that same category. And uh, we'd love to get to meet you as well. Um, Let's pray and then we'll dive in. Father, we're, uh, we're here this morning. We want to learn from you. We, that's what it means to be a disciple, is to be a learner. And so help us to not only hear your word, but to be a doer of your word. I just think about even what Michael was praying, Lord. When we look at the devastation that's gone on in our, in our world, um, that we would and just kind of write it off or, 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 or shrug it aside or whatever, but we would um, find ways that we can actively be a part of what you're doing in this world. And so we pray even how do you want to use us individually and as a church to, to help those who've lost everything? God, I, I just pray that you would motivate and mobilize us to be those kinds of people in this world, that the church would rise up, that we would look at this as a great opportunity uh, to serve and love the people who really need it right now. And we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I recently ran across a story written by a guy named Shane Windermer who is the director of an organization called Campus Pride. It's, a, it's an organization that helps LGBT students on college campuses all over our country. And in this article, he talks about how his relationship with Dan Cathy, who's the president and COO of Chick-fil-A, how his kind of perspective changed about Dan and this organization, and maybe even a little bit about how he views the Christian faith. This is how he starts out the article. He says, I spent New Year's Eve at the red-blooded All-American Epicenter of college football at the Chick-fil-A Bowl next to Dan Cathy as his personal guest. It was among the most unexpected moments of my life. Yes, after months of personal phone calls and text messages and in-person meeting, meetings, I'm coming out in a new way as a friend of Chick-fil-A's president and CEO, Dan Cathy. And I'm nervous about it. I've come to know him and Chick-fil-A in ways that I would not have thought possible when I first started hearing about LGBT students and their concerns over the chicken chain's giving practice. Uh, just seven months ago, uh, our organization advanced a national campaign against Chick-fil-A for the millions of dollars it donates to uh, anti-LGBT organizations. He says, I've spent quite some time being angry at and deeply distrustful of Dan Cathy and Chick-fil-A. If he had his way, my husband of 18 years and I would never be legally married. Now this past June, I started uh, looking at a passage in 1 Thessalonians. Now, Mark has covered 43 weeks in Romans. This is week two of 1 Thessalonians. So I'm kind of a lightweight in, in some ways. But um, in, when we looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we talked about the importance of living a life that reflects who Jesus is and the gospel message. And really, the gospel message is, is really simple. It's just the idea that the God of the universe sent his son to earth. He, he, he came into the world as a, as a baby. And he, he lived a life fully human. And he showed us what it would be like to be fully human, fully alive. And he lived a sinless life. And then at the end of his life, I mean, he came very purposefully to come to die. He came to rescue us. 
in a sense, to build a bridge between holy, righteous God and sinful man, which is all of us, so that, that we could, in a sense, give him our sin or he would take our sin onto himself and we would get his righteousness and so that we could actually be reconnected and in relationship and then spend eternity with this amazing holy being. And so that's, that's this, the message that Paul uh, sets up to proclaim, not only by living uh, his life in, in, in such a way, but in the, his goal is to, is to really reflect who Jesus is and, and also reflect this message. And this church in Thessalonica, their goal was to do that as well. Paul wrote to this church that they, and, and talked about how they had turned away from idol worship to serve the living and the true God, who's Jesus. And this turning away, the Bible uses the word repentance. And so that repentance, it caused these people in this church to stand out, not only among all the churches in their region, but also among their peers and their friends in this city. And so this week, we're looking at how a life well lived because of the work of the gospel in our lives really sets up the proclamation of this message. And so if you have a Bible or a web-enabled device, you can flip or tap your way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And this is what we read. This is what Paul writes. He says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. And that's Paul's first point for us this morning is a gospel well proclaimed doesn't throw the towel in in the, in the face of opposition. Now, do you remember what Paul was talking about when he said that he had suffered and been mistreated there in Philippi? The beautiful thing about the Bible is a lot of times you can learn about what's going on in these different letters if you go back to the book of Acts. You kind of read more of like what happened in those, in those uh, stories. You get a little bit more of a fuller background information. So if you were to flip to Acts chapter 16, you could read about what happened. And this is what happened. When, while Paul was involved in gospel work in this city, this slave girl who worked as a fortune teller walks up alongside of him and his companions, and she starts shouting out these words. She says, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And Luke says that she did that for many days. So I don't know if you can imagine having this girl just say the same thing over and over and over again. I mean, Paul was a man of character, but at some point he had to be enough is enough. And so he what does he do? He actually casts this demon out of this girl. And that's when really his trouble began in the city because when he cast that demon out of her, he messed up her master's way of actually exploiting her. These dudes actually used her and her demon to make money off of her and her fortune-telling ability. So her owners stir the city up against Paul and Silas and they're arrested and they're beaten with rods and then they're thrown in prison. The NASB uses the word mistreated. Another translation further defines this mistreatment as shameful. And the reason that, that it's shameful is because uh, it, what it's talking about is that Paul didn't receive a proper trial. See, Paul was a citizen of Rome by birth. And because of that citizenship, he wasn't supposed to be punished without a trial. But he's beaten anyway and he's thrown into prison. And what he's writing to this church is just the idea that this message we have 
is of such importance. In another place in the New Testament, he says it's of the highest importance, of first importance, that we don't quit even when we face opposition, affliction, and conflict. Now, we looked at this back in June, but opposition and affliction are normal parts of the life of a follower of Jesus. Paul tells Timothy in another place in the New Testament that if you pursue a godly life, you can bank on the fact that you're going to be persecuted, that you're going to be opposed for your faith. That opposition a lot of times seems like it's uh, really just with people. Like we wrestle a lot of times with thinking these people are against us. But really when you look at the New Testament and what it writes, our struggle is never against flesh and blood. It's never about us and someone else. It's not your roommate. It's not your spouse. It's, it's not your neighbor. It's not your workmate. The struggle is, it, it, Paul says, is in the spiritual. It's in the unseen. It's in, it's in what he says is the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so our real struggle is always spiritual in nature. In fact, in the next chapter in this letter, Paul says that some of the affliction we experience is, is from the tempter. The tempter is just another name for Satan. And his goal is to discourage you through affliction so that you throw in the towel and give up. Now, I don't know if you followed the Chick-fil-A controversy, and just to put it out there, like, I'm, I have a high respect for Chick-fil-A and Dan Cathy, but I'm not a Chick-fil-A junkie. Like, I don't go on vacation to a new city and be like, oh, man, I went to Chick-fil-A, and, you know, like, throw it up on Instagram or whatever. I, that's not who I am. Like, I, I'm not always talking about, like, oh, my experience with Chick-fil-A. I, but if you followed this whole ordeal, you know that these guys and this organization have, have they have, come under a lot of fire and, and heat because of their faith-based decisions and convictions. But as Shane writes about his experience, you see how Dan doesn't quit. He, he decided to be very intentional about pursuing a friendship and an understanding with Shane. Shane went on to write this about Dan. And, 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 and to, back in 2012, in the heat of this controversy, I got a surprise call from Dan Cathy. He had gotten my cell number uh, from a mutual friend of ours, and, and took a, the, I took the call with great caution. He was going to tear me apart, right? Give me a piece of his mind. Turn his lawyers on me. But what actually happened was uh, Dan did something altogether different. He built a friendship and engaged in, really, dialogue with Shane. They had many conversations over the phone and and then, uh, you know, through text messaging, and then eventually face-to-face. And the way that he interacted with Shane caught Shane totally off guard. Shane continued, he says, this was not going to be the, you know, the uh, typical turn of events. His questions and a series of deeper conversations ultimately led to, again, getting together face-to-face with him and, and representatives from Chick-fil-A. He had never before had such dialogue with any member of the LGBT community. It was awkward at times but always genuine and kind. Now, Dan and, and Chick-fil-A were under, you know, tremendous pressure and opposition. And Paul would say to, to them and to us that we should expect to be opposed. And when you're in the middle of it, don't quit, because really the, the reality is this message that we have been given is of such importance that we need to kind of just continue through the struggle and perseverance. Paul continues in verse 3. He says, for our exhortation, 
does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. And this is really Paul's second kind of key thought for us this morning. And it's this, a gospel well-proclaimed springs from pure motives. Now, some of the pure motives that we see uh, of Jesus and, and Paul and the other New Testament writers are this, that, uh, just a real desire to love and glorify God and a, a deep desire to love people. And so I was, I was thinking about like just this whole idea of motivation. Where does our, our gospel motivation come from? Well, I think it comes from two places. The first place I think it comes from is it comes from the gospel. It comes from just being overwhelmed by how good God has been to us and what he's done for us through Jesus. It comes from just feeling overwhelmed by a debt of gratitude, just a thankfulness. That's the first debt, is really just, just realizing how much Jesus has done for us. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like we look at each other here on a Sunday morning or a, and we look like we have it all together. But if you were to kind of step behind the scenes in my life, and if I did this in your life, we would see all of the ugliness. It's there. I mean, if you were to put my thought life or your thought life on the screen, we would be embarrassed at times, wouldn't we? I would rank myself just maybe right under the Apostle Paul. He said he was the chief of sinners. I'm the junior chief of sinners. And so really the, the idea of Gospel motivation, it starts with the gospel. I think the second place that I think about where gospel motivation comes from, it comes from a, the gratitude that we have for, the, for that, that person who reached out to us and, and loved us enough to share the gospel with us. I remember when that happened in my life. I was a freshman in college, and this guy who was on staff with the campus church back when I was uh, uh, at U of I in Champaign, Illinois, he went out of his way to get to know me. I was 18, and he was in his... I would say his early 30s. And when he met me, I wasn't at all interested in the Christian faith. I did things as a non-Christian that would make Christians uncomfortable. But he stepped through that awkwardness and he crossed all kinds of social barriers to help me know Jesus. He got nothing out of it except the joy of watching God work. But me, on the other hand, I got everything. I got everything. I got eternal life. I got salvation. I got hope. I got the Holy Spirit. I got a new identity. I got a worldview that actually makes sense and works in the world that we live in. I got to be a part of the new community of faith, the church, the family of God. And I got a whole lot more because someone risked for me. To this day, I feel a debt of gratitude toward Jesus and toward this guy for loving me enough to walk into my world and share the gospel message with me. Now, just as a brief aside, when we talk about motives, I'm always a little concerned that, you know, like someone in, this, in the room is gonna think like, I've gotta, I gotta keep going until I've got like just the perfect motive. And if you do that, you know what's gonna happen. You will wait until you're dead. Because the reality is on this side of eternity, we're always gonna be working through impure motives. And so what I'd encourage you to do is just do it and let God purify your motives as you serve him. Let's move on here. Verse four. Paul continues, he says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, 
so we speak. And so the third kind of key idea that Paul gives us here is a gospel well-proclaimed recognizes that we are stewards, that we have been entrusted with something. That phrase to be entrusted with is a very interesting phrase in the Greek. The word is pistheunathani, and it comes from the root word pistheo, which means to believe or to trust or to put faith in. Sounds a lot like what happens when you believe in Jesus. You put your faith in him. You trust it in him. And so the sense of, of this word is to be or become the recipient of something placed into one's care. So the idea here is that God has placed something into your care. He's trusted you with something very precious. So precious that his own son bled and died on a cross so that that precious message could be placed into your care and you would faithfully get that message out to the people around you. That's what it means to steward something. There's another place in the New Testament where Paul talks about this. And he says this, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards, there it is again, stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found trustworthy or faithful. So the entire idea here is that God has believed in us enough to place into our care the most important work and message in the world. And he has given us the responsibility with this message. We have been entrusted with the gospel to take it and share it with everyone. You are God's plan A. And there isn't a plan B. And so as a steward, we, there really aren't any valid excuses why we don't fulfill our responsibility, why we aren't faithful with what we've been given. You can't say, I'm too busy. Like Life and, 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 and work are just too overwhelming. I can't be involved with this. Or I'm, not, I'm just not a people person. You know, my personality, I'm kind of more kind of introverted or I'm just not into that. Or I, I just don't believe in that. Or because people don't talk to each other anymore in our culture, like I don't want to be awkward or I just don't care. No, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been given a sobering task. That responsibility is to, is to give every single person in your sphere of influence, the opportunity to hear that message. Now, every one of us has the same responsibility, but the way that we kind of carry that out is going to be probably a little different. Like, I'm more in the, my style is more kind of conversational, a little bit more confrontational. And a lot of that's because I'm Italian. And I don't know if you've been around Italian people, that's just kind of how we roll. Um, but you, you know, you might be a little bit more uh, of, a, of a person who likes to serve and like love and maybe kind of come in a, in a little bit different way. Like I remember reading about a woman who was more quiet and reserved and introverted and, and her whole thought process is, I am gonna invite all these people to come and, and hear the message proclaimed. And so that, it fits more with like that, her style that kind of fit more with who she is. But she was still being a faithful person. I think what keeps a lot of people from, from being faithful stewards is this. I think 
I think we struggle with being overly responsible. And this is what I mean when I say we're being overly responsible. I think we take on a responsibility that isn't ours to take on. You're responsible to hold the gospel out to your friends. You're responsible for, for doing that in as winsome a way as possible. But you're never responsible for what they, what they do with it, for how they respond. My responsibility is to be a good friend and, and again, to, to, like, to try to follow Jesus and, and be an example of Jesus as best as I can, as I depend on him. My responsibility is to pray that God would open my friend's hearts to him. My responsibility is really to build a bridge for the gospel into another person's life and world. And then allow room for the Holy Spirit. who He's the one who does all of the heavy lifting. I mean, he's the one that really convicts somebody of sin and, and convinces them of their need for a savior. And then ultimately, he's the one who changes the human heart. I can't change the human heart, but what I can do is I could be a friend to somebody. I could have a friend. I could be someone who has a good friend who's outside of the community of faith. I could love and serve that person and I can open my mouth. I think when we're crystal clear what our responsibility is, we never have to push or coerce or twist arms. We can nudge and challenge someone, but then ultimately we can give them freedom to make a decision. And then after they've made that decision, whether it's you know, positively or, or negatively, we can still stand in there with them and, and just be a good friend. I think being clear about our responsibility really allows us to love someone. Let's keep going here. End of verse four, beginning of five. Paul says, we've been entrusted, so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a context, a, sorry, a pretext for greed. God is witness. In other words, God sees all. He sees our hearts. He knows all that's going on. Nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. And so this is Paul's forethought for us. As a gospel well-proclaimed will force you to develop your identity. Now, I think this point is huge, and I believe this is one of the key areas that all of us really need to wrestle with. We don't know who we are. And so we oscillate back and forth trying to please people at times and, and at the same time trying to please God. And oftentimes it's impossible to do both. If you, go to, if you were to go back to Shane's article, I mean, he makes it really clear that Dan stood firmly in what he believes. As you read his article, you can see that Dan's goal is to please God. Dan knows who he is. And the way that he engages with Shane flows out of his understanding of his identity. And that's how it always is. We, this is who we are, and then this is what we do. Listen to what Shane wrote. He said, throughout the, the conversations, Dan expressed a sincere interest in my life. I love this, by the way. Wanted to get to know me on a personal level. He wanted to know about where I grew up, my faith, my family, even my husband, Tommy. In return, I learned about his wife and kids and gained an appreciation for his devout belief in Jesus Christ and his commitment to being a follower of Christ. He used that in quotes. More than a Christian. Dan expressed regret and genuine sadness when he heard of people being 
treated unkindly in the name of Chick-fil-A. But he offered no apologies for his genuine beliefs about marriage. Shane continued, he said, Dan in his heart is driven by his desire to minister to others and had to choose to continue our relationship throughout the controversy. He had to both hold to his beliefs and, and then welcome me into them. He had to face the issue of respecting my viewpoints in life, even while not being able to reconcile them with his belief system. He defined this to me as the blessing of growth. He expanded his world without abandoning it. And then, he, and then Shane says, I did as well. Dan Kathy knows who he is. My question for you is this. Do you know who you are? Do you see yourself the way God sees you? I mean, do you, do you see that you're, you, if you're in Christ, you are a child of God? And, and you're a child of God because God adopted you into his family as his very own son or daughter. And because of that adoption, you now have a permanent place in God's family. In other words, you have complete security. And so that security is kind of like an anchor for your life where you can kind of put your all, everything you've got into, into who you are in Christ and you can take risks. You can risk being rejected over here because you know that you'll never be rejected by God. And he's the one that ultimately you really care about what he thinks of you. In another place in the New Testament, we're told that we've been bought. When Jesus died on the cross, um, he paid for your sin. And through that payment, actually purchased you and, and ransomed you. He redeemed you. And so you really don't belong to yourself anymore. But you belong to him now. And so you no longer live for yourself, but for him. I, I memorized a verse a long time ago, and I know Mark's reference, referenced it a couple times over the last year. It's one of my favorite verses in all the New Testament. It's, it's uh, um, what is it? That's a good question. I should, I should look at my notes here. Um, oh, it's, um, my goodness. Help me here. It's Galatians 2.20. Thank you. Um, my, it says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith. In other words, I'm trusting in Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. And so as these truths begin to settle in our, in our lives, they shape who we are and then they affect what we do. And so Paul said, we don't please, speak to please men, but to please God. Our goal isn't to seek glory from people. Now, that doesn't mean, again, that we're jerks in the way that we interact with people in the world. It just means that we're moving away from being consumed by what others think about us. Our security comes from knowing that we're fully accepted by God because of Jesus. In one sense, we're free now to really be a good friend to someone and yet at the same time hold firmly to who we are in Christ. And that's what Dan did in his friendship with Shane. And look at the results. Shane actually respected him for, his, for having convictions. He didn't expect Dan to throw in the towel on what he believed, but their, di their dialogue has got this graciousness to it. This, it's genuine, it's respectful. At one point, Shane wrote this. Through all this, Dan and I shared respectful, enduring communication and, and built trust. His demeanor has always been one of kindness and openness. And he, you know, when, when uh, Shane wrote this article, I think he was sticking his neck out. 
when you look at all of the negative feedback he got from the LGBT community about this, I mean, they just, they just threw him under the bus completely. But I think he did it because he wanted people to know the truth about who Dan Cathy really is. That is profound. This guy who's on the outside of, you know, the community of faith is writing about this man and the way he's living his life. I mean, what an example for us. All right. The last section we're going to look at is, is in uh, uh, Paul, what he writes in verses 7 and 8. And he says this. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Oh, I love that. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you had become very dear to us. And this is Paul's kind of final thought for us this morning, and it's this, love is the foundation of a gospel well proclaimed. Now that might be one of my favorite passages in all of the New Testament. And if you think about it, like what if we as a church were to be that kind of person? Where we love people so much that they would look back and say, man, this person loved me so much that they, they, they shared this message with me and they shared their life with me as well. I mean, I think what Paul's really revealing, he's playing his cards right here. He's shown you what his philosophy of ministry is all about. He put loving people as kind of one of the highest priorities in his life. He exhorted people, followers of Jesus, to love I mean, if you read the New Testament, all of his writings, it's, there's so much in there about love, loving people, inside and outside of the community of faith. Probably one of the most, you know, um, well-known passages is the love chapter of chapter 1 Corinthians 13. Like, you know, 90% of weddings kind of focus on, and that's a good thing, right? If you could take that love chapter and actually live it out in your life, what would happen? Listen to what he says. It says, love is patient. I mean, I can just stop right there and be like, I'm good. That, that is enough of a challenge for me for the rest of my life. <laughs> love is patient. But then he goes on. He says, love is kind. It's not rude. It's not envious. Think about that. It means that like, you're excited when other people do better than you. When somebody maybe is more attractive or the outfit they're wearing is more attractive than the one you're, you're you don't envy that. You, you, can, you can be excited for them. Love doesn't boast. It's not proud, in other words. It's, it's not puffed up. It's not arrogant. It doesn't insist on its own way. Love is flexible. It's willing to yield. It's not irritable or resentful. He goes on and says, it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. In other words, you know, love doesn't look at someone who's hurting themselves or others and just kind of like, be like, it's okay. No, because love is grounded in truth. And so if we live that out, if, if like we kind of banded together as, as a church and said, this is what we're going to be about. Like this year, we're going we're gonna to be really intentional about loving our neighbors and, and our workmates and, and our, you know, our classmates and the people that we live next door to. And, and we're going to do that in Williamston and we're going to do that in, in Hazlitt and East Lansing and LCC, MSU, all these different communities. I mean, what would happen if that was what our lives were marked by? I mean, the people around us wouldn't know what to do with us. Okay. 
I love the way that Shane ends his article. In a sense, what he says is, Dan embodies this verse. This is what he wrote. He said, as Dan and I grew through mutual dialogue and respect, he invited me to be his personal guest Excuse me on, on New Year's Eve at the Chick-fil-A Bowl. This was an event that Campus Pride and others had planned to protest. Had I been played, seduced into his billionaire's life? No. It was Dan who took a great risk in inviting me. He stood to face the ire of his conservative base in a potential boycott. Who is his conservative base, by the way? It's us. That's pretty sad, isn't it? If I remember correctly, I remember Jesus spent time with people like Shane. I I, I remember like John chapter 4, Jesus met the woman at the well. Or if you were to go over to John chapter 8, he met the woman who was caught in adultery. If you were to skip over to Mark chapter five, it was the man who, he couldn't stay chained. He was naked all the time. He was just possessed by a a number of, of demons. They called him legion. Jesus spent time with people like Shane and like me. He stood the face, uh, to face the ire of his conservative base by being seen or photographed with an LGBT activist. He could have been portrayed as caving to the, the gay agenda by welcoming me. Instead, he stood next to me most of the night, putting respect, and, and I would add love, ahead of fear. There we were on the sidelines, Dan, his wife, his family and friends and I, all enjoying the game. And that is why building a relationship with someone I thought I would never understand mattered. Our worlds, different as they can be, could coexist peacefully. Men and women, we have a chance to join with the God of the universe as he is about his work of redemption and life transformation and rescue. It starts with living a life worthy of our calling, allowing the gospel to deeply affect our lives, and then just like Dan Cathy, we spring off of a life well lived to love people deeply and help them understand this message. And you gotta know, Dan is not the hero of the story. Jesus is the hero of the story. Dan's just somebody who is actually saying, I want to be that person who's gonna go and, and build relationships and be a faithful steward. And so I think to do all of this It's going to force us to continue the inner work of growing in perseverance in in the midst of opposition. It's going to force us to allow God to refine our motives, for us to continue to grow in being faithful stewards, people who have been entrusted with a precious message. And then knowing who we are in Christ and living out of that and growing in love. But I think if we move in this direction, God is going to use us to accomplish his purposes in the world. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word to us. You speak all these things into my life, God. And so, I don't know, I just think my application, Lord, that the, the desire that I have for this community would be that our lives would be marked by the gospel, by 
a deep love for you and a deep love for other people. And that we as a community could, could stand up and say, I have really good friendships with people who are outside the community of faith. I pray that for each person here. God, help us to, to grow in all these different areas. And maybe even to kind of like you would just speak into our lives just one simple thing that we need to take away today. I know my desire would be that um, you would use this um, to really make us a people who um, bring greater glory to you. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming this week. Hope you have a great week. We'll uh, look forward to And if, you're, if you are a college-aged or you want to even grab food and you want to hang out with college-aged people, downstairs. <laughs>